Bible. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 1 this morning, and we are going to look at verses 4 through 8 as we continue our series through the book of Acts. And I've got to tell you, I could not have planned today any better. God knew exactly what He was doing. God knew what He was doing when, when He orchestrated this service where we're going to get people that have a Baptist background and four square backgrounds sitting together. God also knew what He was doing when He brought a group of people that are involved in missions. And all of this said, this morning's subject is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts chapter 1. So God knew exactly what He was doing. So let's do this. We'll start in chapter 1. We'll read verses 4 through 8. And then we'll pray. And then we'll get right into it today. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray, guys. Father, we pray now that as we spend time in these wonderful words that you have just joyfully given to us, we pray now that your Spirit would open our understanding and, Lord, enable us to put into practice the things that we learn. And so, Father, I I also pray when we're dealing with a subject like the baptism of the Spirit, Lord, your, your, your word says that, that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it's so sharp, it could, it could find the place to splice between the bone and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. And so, Lord, I pray, I, I know that this is a subject that has been categorized as controversial in many churches, but, but today, would you just give us your grace to be able to see plainly from the scriptures to understand what your heart is for us on this subject rather than what man's traditions or opinions may be. I pray, Lord, that you would do something real in us, that we can walk out of this place knowing that we are living in the power and serving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we've come to verses 4 through 8, I've entitled this message, God's Power, God's Witnesses. Because those words sum up what we just read about here in verses 4 through 8. But before we actually get into verse 4, I need to start with a word of introduction. It's a fact. This is a fact that every one of you needs to know this morning. And that is this, God loves the world. And He desires sinners to be saved from sin and hell. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, you guys know it. 
Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then He goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him should be saved. Later, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Guys, that's a fact. God loves the world. And He desires sinners to be saved from sin and hell. Now, in view of this, before returning to heaven, Jesus commissioned His followers with a global mandate. We call it the Great Commission. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now guys, when you hear those words, you have to, you have to try to imagine yourself as one of the people hearing it coming straight from the lips of Jesus. Guys, this was a huge task entrusted to a team of ordinary common people, just like you and me. Yet, these ordinary common people, they delivered the gospel of Jesus to the entire known world in a period of approximately 30 years. That's radical. Jesus said, go into the world. In 30 years, they did it. Sometime between 60 to 62 AD, writing to the Christians in Colossae, the Apostle, Peter, or the Apostle Paul, excuse me, he presented this report concerning the progress of the gospel in the Roman world. In Colossians 1.6 he said, The gospel has come to you, listen, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. In Colossians 1.23 Paul said, This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed, listen, to every creature under heaven. 30 years prior, Jesus said, go into the world. 30 years later, Paul said, it happened. Now think about this. This all happened without the resources of modern travel and modern technology. They had no cars, no trains, no airplanes. They had no telephone, no internet, no TV. So here's the question. How did these ordinary, common people do it? How do they do it? Well, verses 4 through 8 here in Acts chapter 1, it answers this question. But before we get there, I need to give you a word of application. Guys, as we're learning about what Jesus is commanding His apostles, it's important for us to also keep in mind that this global mandate is also for you and me to obey. Now, I've heard some people say, well, the Great Commission was only limited to those apostles. Guys, that's not true. Yes, Jesus gave them a specific command to go into the world, but notice that part of the commission was teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So everything I'm telling you to do, you're supposed to transmit to the people that are going to hear from you, and that means the Great Commission applies to you just as it did to them 2,000 years ago. And guys, the same way they must have felt, I'm sure many of us do. Guys, this is a huge task entrusted to us, into the whole world, 
Every nation, every creature under heaven. Guys, have you thought about how big of a commission that is? There is an estimated 236 countries in the world. There is an estimated 6,500 plus spoken languages in the world. There is a current population of 7 billion. An estimated 3 plus billion. Billion is unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of these people live in the geographical region that stretches from North Africa to China, and Jesus says to us, Go to them. All creatures, every nation, go. Guys, Jesus loves the people of the world. And for this reason, he commands his church, and that includes you and me, to go with God's news about his salvation. Question, and this is a big one, how? How do we do this? And again, to discover the answer to this question, we now turn to verses 4 through eight. So today, as we spend time in these verses, there are two points that I want you to th- I want you to see. Number one, we're first going to talk about God's promise in verses four through seven, and then we're going to talk about God's power in verse eight. So let's first talk about God's promise in verses four through seven. Let's begin with verses four and five. It says, "And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me.' For John." Baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Point number one, background. Remember that word and in verse four? That word and is connecting this verse to the previous verse. What do we remember from last week's lesson? And that was that Jesus was staying with his apostles for 40 days, convincing giving to his apostles convincing proof that he is alive. Remember we said this last week. The book of Acts starts with the risen Christ because if there is no living, risen Jesus, then there is no book of Acts to tell. There is no Christianity. It's important that we understand this. Guys, Christianity is not about a bunch of good ideas. Christianity is about a person. And if that person is still dead, there is no Christianity. And Christianity, it is about life. And that life hinges in the risen, living Savior. And so, last week we saw that for 40 days, Jesus was spending time with His apostles. These are the guys that are going to go out and proclaim to the world that Jesus is alive. And if they're going to do that, they need to themselves be convinced that He's alive. But looking ahead, Jesus not only gives to them many convincing proofs of His resurrection... But he also gives them a command, which leads us to point number two, the command. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go. Remember that? I just gave it to you in Mark 16, Matthew 28. But now Jesus says, wait. Imagine that. Imagine yourself as a race car driver. And you are excited. Man, think about how excited these guys must be. Jesus is alive. They saw Him die. And now He's alive. Not a spiritual resurrection, a full-on, historical, bodily, 
physical resurrection. He's alive. And Jesus is saying, go into the world. Don't you think that would be enough excitement to get their engines revving, ready for the green light to go into the world? And so imagine yourself in the, in, you know, there, the driver waiting for the light to turn green, red, yellow, and all of a sudden it's red again. These guys are ready to go to the world. And Jesus said, go, go, yes, yes. And then before he ascends, he says, one more command, wait. Wait. Wait simply means remain where you are. Don't go anywhere yet. Don't do anything yet. Why? Because even though they have the excitement, the knowledge that Jesus is alive, they still needed something. They needed something more than just intellectual knowledge. Jesus is going to talk about something that they need to wait for, and that brings us up to the promise. Jesus refers here, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Well, what is the promise of the Father? Well, Jesus explains it by saying, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to notice that the baptism with the Spirit as controversial, and I admit that that is a controversial subject in many churches today, as controversial as the subject may be and churches choose to ignore it, we need to keep in mind Jesus talked a whole lot about it. This is a subject that is very important to Jesus, very interesting to Jesus, that He made sure that He taught His disciples about it. Notice He says in Acts 1, You heard from Me. Heard what? About the baptism of the Spirit. Case in point, Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Listen, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is saying, before you can go to the world, yes, do you have eyewitness knowledge? Do you have the right facts? Do you have the right information? Absolutely. You're witnesses of these things. This is not stuff that you learned from someone else. You saw these things happen right in front of your eyes. But before you can go into the world, you still need to be clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus reminds them and introduces to them again and commands them to wait for this thing called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Guys, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a spiritual baptism. And to help His followers understand this, Jesus made the comparison between John's baptism and the baptism with the Spirit. The baptism of John was a physical immersion into physical water. The baptism with the Spirit is a spiritual immersion in the Holy Spirit. Now guys, I want, it's really important that not only is John's testimony, remember during his baptism he said that one is coming and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, but the fact that Jesus is talking about him baptizing us in the Spirit, it also shows us his superiority over John. Think about that. Jesus said there was no one greater born to women than John. John was the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Why? Because his message was all about Jesus. 
And yet, we see that Jesus is greater than John. Because in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist said, Look, I baptize you with water. That's the best I can do. H2O. That's as far as I can take you. But He is mightier than I. And He's coming. And the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not even worthy enough to touch His shoes. He's that much greater than me. And listen, here's how we see the worth of Jesus over all of the Old Testament prophets. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Because you understand that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of of all of the messages proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets, and He is greater than all of them combined. Because He is going to do something that no other person can do. He baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And so in order to fulfill the Great Commission, these men first needed to be clothed, to be endued with power from on high. And guys, that is something worth waiting for. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now some people, when they read that, they think, how stupid can these guys be? I mean, Jesus is talking about the baptism with the Spirit, the Great Commission, and now they're talking about the coming kingdom? Well, guys, their question, there is a logic to their question. This question came up on account of two things. Number one, remember we learned last week that for 40 days Jesus had been teaching his disciples about something? What was it? The kingdom of God. So after his resurrection for 40 days, Jesus had been teaching his disciples day after day about the kingdom of God. So obviously as Jesus is talking about his departure and the coming of the baptism of the Spirit, they would think, so is this the time? Kingdom of God coming to earth. But here's the second reason why they would ask the question. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 32, Ezekiel 39, Joel chapter 2, Zechariah 12, that connects, associates God's outpouring of His Spirit with the start of God's kingdom on earth. And so, they're hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom for 40 days, they're hearing Jesus talk about the baptism with the Spirit, their brain is thinking back to Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and they're thinking, this must be the second coming of Christ. He's going to come back, he's going to establish his kingdom. But it wasn't that that Jesus was wanting to convey. That was their conclusion, but it wasn't the conclusion that Jesus was wanting them to reach. They were hoping for an immediate appearance of God's kingdom. Remember Jesus said concerning the baptism of the Spirit in verse 5, it's going to happen not many days from now. That's why here the Apostle said, so is it this time? The kingdom that the Apostles were anticipating was a literal kingdom here on earth. When Jesus Christ comes back, it will not be a spiritual, mythological kingdom. It will be a tangible physical kingdom that is consistent for Christians that are going to rise again in real, tangible, physical, resurrected bodies. Guys, it would make no sense for us to have a physical resurrection and live in a ghost town. We are going to rise again from the dead physically. Joel said, my flesh is going to disappear, but in the end, with my eyes, again, there's a resurrection. With my eyes, I shall see God. And so these guys, they heard Jesus talk about this literal, 
physical kingdom of God coming, and now they're thinking, Lord, is it now? And they're asking the question. But look at Jesus' response in verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Two observations quickly, and we need to get to verse 8. Number one, notice that Jesus did not correct these guys for believing in a literal kingdom coming. Because it was right. That's the way Jesus taught it. Number two, notice He tells the disciples that the date of the coming of that kingdom, it only belongs to God the Father. So here's the point Jesus is making. Guys, there was something more important for these men to focus on than information that God did not intend for them to have. That's a good word of application for us because I've, I've, I've been engaged in too many conversations of people trying to win arguments where there is no clear answer in Scripture. People just want to go around in circles and circles and circles trying to answer questions that God has not chosen to give us the answer to on this side of eternity. And the whole time they're wasting opportunity after opportunity to serve Jesus here on earth. Jesus is wanting these guys to keep focused. The question you're asking, God has not chosen to give an answer So stop, stop, stop spending all of your time and energy over that. This is what you need to keep in mind right now. God's kingdom is coming. That's a fact. It's going to come. But in the meantime, now is the time to populate that kingdom. The kingdom is coming, but now is the time to populate that kingdom. And this connects... This with the Great Commission. And so we now come to God's power in verse 8. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time together today. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Guys, think about what Jesus is saying here. These words describe God's power in action. This is what happens, listen, this is what happens to people that are baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is describing here. People that are baptized with the Holy Spirit looks like this in verse 8. And in order for us to understand what the baptism of the Spirit is and what the message of verse 8 is, I want us to focus in on two key words here in verse 8. They are the words Power and witnesses. Those are the two key words in verse 8. Number one, power. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This power is a reference to God's power. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus called it the power from on high. The Greek word translated power, it's the word dunamis. I want you to hear this. You may have never been interested in the Greek language before, but today I'm going to give you some Greek words so that you can keep it in your pocket. Because remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. This word power is the Greek word dunamis. And the word dunamis literally means achieving power, achieving ability. In fact, the New Testament translates the word dunamis as power, strength, might, 
And for us in the English-speaking world, for us to get a better understanding of the, the nature of power here, we get our English words dynamite, dynamic, dynamo, all from this Greek word dunamis. So we're talking about achieving power, achieving ability. And to better help us understand what this power is, let me tell you what this power is not. The opposite of dunamis, the antonym of dunamis is a Greek word, adunatos. And it literally means powerless, incapable, impossible. Jesus is saying when you're baptized with the Spirit, your life will not look like that. It will not be described as powerless, incapable, and impossible. But it will be described as power, strength, and might. And for us to even get a better understanding of what this power is, this is the same power that Jesus displayed during His ministry on earth. The word dunamis is used to describe the power of Jesus. Luke 6.19 And the whole multitude sought to touch Him for power, Dunamis went out from him and healed them all. Acts 10.38 God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Dunamis who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So the same power that is displayed in Jesus would be displayed in his followers. That's huge. That's huge. And this event is evident in the book of Acts. Acts 6.8 And Stephen full of grace and Power, dunamis, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 4, 31 and 33, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness and with great power, dunamis. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So Jesus is saying something is going to happen when you're baptized with the Spirit. God's power transforms weak people into bold witnesses. He enables ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary tasks. Just think about the Apostle Peter for a moment. Guys, a few weeks earlier, Peter is standing with a small group of people and he is denying Jesus three times. Was it a lack of will? Was it a lack of desire? I don't think so. I, I believe that Peter loved Jesus. And I believe when Peter said, I'll die for you, he really meant it. But the problem was he's weak. The problem with Peter is that he was afraid. But all of a sudden, when we get to Acts chapter 2, a few weeks later, we see the same guy standing in front of a crowd numbering into the thousands Boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. Many of which were the same people that were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And he's preaching with boldness and 3,000 people get saved. What happened? How did the fearless fisherman become the fearless fisher of men? He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And guys, keep this in mind. That the experience of God's power is the direct result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive power when, listen, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Guys, this is a promise for all believers. And this is the work of Jesus. Remember, we learned that He would baptize us with the Spirit. But listen, Jesus said, 
this would happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Now, this is where people make the doctrine of the baptism with the Spirit a little sticky, a little controversial. So I just want you to stick with me and hear me out of what I'm going to say, and I challenge you to just search the Scriptures and come to your conclusions. But talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon us, two things you need to keep in mind. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's God. It's sad that I have to communicate that and reiterate that in the church, but it's come down to it because I've talked to a lot of Christians, especially younger Christians, when they hear about the Holy Spirit, they think of the Holy Spirit as a force, as a energy, as an essence. Guys, He's not the force in Star Wars. I remember back in 1977, that was the big thing for Christians. They had their bumper stickers and they adopted the theology of George Lucas and applied it to the Holy Spirit and said, may the force be with you. No, he is not a force. He's not the wind. He's not an enamored, you know, a personless object. He is a person. He speaks, he thinks, he has a will, he feels, he can be grieved, he can love. And he's gone. He's the third person of the Trinity. But number two, understanding that about the Holy Spirit, also keep in mind Jesus uses a very specific preposition here. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. You guys know me, for you that have heard me before, I believe that every word matters in the Bible. This preposition shouts to me something. That this experience that Jesus is talking about, this is not being born of the Spirit. This is being baptized with the Spirit. You see, when we're born of the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit that baptizes us into Christ Jesus. That's the doctrine of 1 Corinthians 12. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ Jesus when we're born with the Spirit. But is that what Jesus is emphasizing here? No. The baptism with the Spirit is not what the Holy Spirit does for us in terms of immersion. It's what Jesus does for us in terms of immersion. When we're born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ Jesus. When we're baptized with the Spirit, it's the it's Jesus, the Lord Jesus, who is baptizing us with the Holy Spirit. But also when we're born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That's why in Romans 8, Paul says, if the Holy Spirit is not in you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Him. But here Jesus uses the preposition, upon you. Something totally different. In fact, this is demonstrated in Acts chapter 8. Remember when Philip went to Samaria, he preached the gospel, people were converted to Christ, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then Peter and John are sent by the church in Jerusalem, and they go and they visit these Christians, and then what do they do? They lay hands on them and pray for them, because it says in Acts chapter 8, Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to him Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, listen, that they they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They were born of the Spirit, but they they need to be baptized with the Spirit. 
And so here Jesus is saying there is power for you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay? Power for what? Guys, stick with me. We're going to wrap it up here. Power for what? Power to be witnesses. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Guys, the meaning of witnesses, witness is a key word in the book of Acts. It's used 29 times in Acts, either as a verb or a noun, and it simply describes someone who testifies of what he has seen and heard. So Jesus said to these guys, you saw my death and resurrection. You know these things, but now you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to effectively communicate that message. And the apostles did in the book of Acts, didn't they? After Pentecost, as they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, time and time again, we see them out on the streets and in the synagogues and in the marketplaces, boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in engaging ways that whether you hated them or loved them, you did not walk away with zero response. Guys, we need more preaching like that. I don't want people to walk away feeling comfortable about their position with God. Look at when I preach the gospel, yes, either love me or hate me, but there's got to be a response. And this is spirit-infused, spirit-empowered preaching, and it was demonstrated in the lives of the apostles as they were effective witnesses for Christ. But, not, but here's what's radical. The Greek word that's translated witnesses, it's the Greek word martyrus. You guys know what English word comes from that? Martyr. Martyr. Jesus is saying that the power of God is so sufficient to be an effective witness for Christ that not only will you be able to proclaim Jesus in life, but you will also have the power to suffer and die for Him if necessary for the cause of the glory of Christ. Guys, you need to understand that dying for Jesus does not make you a martyr. Dying for Jesus simply proves who the real martyrs are. And guys, here we are in life, just like Stephen was there in Acts chapter 7, testifying of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to open our mouths wide and to engage and confront this God-rejecting world with the gospel that saves. It is the only remedy for sin. It is the only remedy to flee the wrath of God. It is the only remedy for hell. The gospel. And it's not just people that learn it in seminary and they can recite it. There, guys, I'll tell you, there are a lot of people that stand behind pulpits and they just regurgitate book reports. A guy by the name of A.W. Tilzer, he once said that what the church needs today are less scribes and more prophets. And these are people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that the effectiveness of your witness would be global. In fact, he gave the geographical scope here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is really a good model for us too. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. When you're empowered with the Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Think of it like Jerusalem being the epicenter moving out. Think of it like, like a bomb. The atomic bomb or the nuclear bomb, there's a point of impact and then all of a sudden it just starts tearing away from the inside out. But here in a positive way, 
this dunamis power of the Spirit in the life of Christians expanding out, starting with Jerusalem. Guys, that's the city in which they lived. Then Judea, that's the region in which they lived. And then Samaria, that's the neighboring region. And then eventually to the end of the earth. And guys, there's great practical application for us here. Guys, keep this in mind as our desires to participate in the Great Commission in reaching the world for Christ. Guys, it's a good place to start at home. Start at home and then move out into the world outside your house. Someone once said, before you cross the sea, start by crossing the street. There's a lot of people that get involved in global missionary work and they've never, never even shared the gospel with their neighbor. Let's go reach the peoples that have never heard. Well, what about your neighbor? What about the student that sits next to you at school? What about your brother or sister or mom and dad that's right across the hall? When was the last time you shared the gospel with them? Guys, it's important for us to keep in mind that as God empowers us with the Spirit to be witnesses, it's not just so that we can reach the unreached people groups of the world. It's also for us to reach the family member that's down the hall. And so for us, we think about how God wants to use us in our Jerusalem. That may be your home. It may be your school. But also for us here in Kutachiba, guys, Jerusalem. Think about this. Jerusalem, there is two million people in this city. How interested are we in those two million people that are literally one breath away from hell? Kutachiba, hey, let's go to Judea. Our Parana. Ten plus million souls in our own state. Four hundred cities in Parana. How interested are we in reaching the people of our own state that are one heartbeat away from hell with the gospel? Let's think about country, Brazil. 195 million souls in this one country. Do we care? The world, 7 billion. Guys, these are all real places filled with real people that need a real Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me finish with this. How do we reach those people? How do we reach the people in our homes and to the farthest ends of the earth? Guys, it is not by human resources. We need to experience a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit. And keep this in mind that a part of the Great Commission, some of us are going to be senders. Some of us are going to be goers. But all of us, God wants to make us participants of this Great Commission. So in closing, the application is this. The church, including you and me, the only way that we're going to make an impact in this world is for us to admit our weaknesses and depend on God for His resources. We need His power. You know, think about, think about your missions team or any missions organization you've been a part of. Think about all the countless numbers of hours we devote to training, whether it's linguistics, whether it's the arts, whatever it might be. And then ask yourself, how much time do you devote to prayer? 
How much time do you devote to waiting? How much time do you devote to just confessing your weakness and need and dependency on God and asking for Him to pour out His power on your life? Because these guys did it in 30 years without all of the luxuries that we have today. Vance Havner... Born 1901, went to heaven 1986, he said, We are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor conformity to it, but by the combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. God's work only happens God's way, and God's way is this, Zechariah 4, 6, It's not by mind, it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, says the Lord. A guy by the name of Samuel Chadwick said this, Born 1860, went to heaven in 1932. And I want you to listen to this quote. He said, The church that is man-managed instead of God-governed is doomed to failure. A ministry that is college-trained but not spirit-filled works no miracles. The church that multiplies committees and neglects prayer may be fussy, noisy, enterprising, but its labors in vain and spends its strength for nothing. It is possible to excel in mechanics and fail in dynamic. There is a superabundance of machinery. What is lacking is power. To run an organization needs no God. Man can supply the energy, enterprise, and enthusiasm for things human. The real work of a church depends upon the power of the Spirit. Certainly the energy of the flesh can run bazaars and organize amusements and raise millions of dollars. But it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes a temple of the living God. Things will get no better until we get back to the realized presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so as we finish, let's remember the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and To the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish (coughs) give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Listen, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Father, this morning, I just pray that you could just take just these five loaves and two fish that that represent the word that I could speak. And, and Lord, with just the weakness of it all, and I pray that you would just multiply this truth in the lives of your people today. Lord, how we want to reach the world for Christ. And how we want Jesus to be exalted in this world. But Lord, we need this. Acts 1 through eight. We need this power of the Spirit in our lives. And so, Father, knowing that it is a sovereign work of grace, I pray that you would just show up in ways today that just astound us, baptizing us with the Spirit and, and just demonstrating it in just the way that we share Christ with people. I pray that some people here would just find new boldness to share the gospel with family members today over lunch. I pray that people would find boldness to share the gospel with the people at the gas station or at the, at the grocery store. And for those that eventually go to the ends of the earth, that there would be dynamic power 
demonstrated in their witness for Jesus. And for all of us, use us, Lord, as a part, as members of your body in the Great Commission, empowering us by your Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys.